Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. I'm guessing that it's been for you like it's been for me this morning and that uh, it's just been a really good day to be here. Um, what, uh, what a great job Mike has done in putting together some meaningful songs and some combinations of, of old and new. You know, Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like someone bringing out of a storehouse treasures that are old and treasures that are new, reminding us of all the great things God has done, but also encouraging us to remember the, God th- the good things that God continues to do through us. And uh, what a beautiful thought that you shared with us this morning, Joe, thinking about Lazarus really is a metaphor for the Christian life that I know, as Romans 8 and verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm already a saved person. I'm a hopeful person, and yet we all continue to struggle with those grave clothes, whether that's our physical bodies, our circumstances, or the world we're living in. We all struggle for that better life, and as we took communion this morning, again, I'm reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. So, The way I was feeling, even if I went home right now, my cup would be full today. And so uh, I'm glad I could be here with you and that we could experience that together. Let me add two bits of good news on top of that. Uh, As I was getting ready to come up here, Rich Hammonds mentioned to me he'd been having some pretty significant health concerns, and they were testing to find out whether he might have epilepsy. The good news is that he does not. It's just an iron shortage, which is quite treatable. So we're happy that Rich got some good news. And then uh, we also have a couple of people uh, placing membership with us. We have Art and Lydia Gatica. Uh, They're members of the Lord's Church, have been for a number of years. They've been worshiping with one of our uh, sister congregations, but have desired to uh, identify with us here as members and to work with us. And so if you would, Art and Lydia, if y'all would stand up so everyone can welcome you. Thank you so much. We're glad to have you guys. This coming Wednesday night, I'm about to begin a new study. Um, At the beginning of this pandemic 17 months ago, we started doing some online streaming classes on Wednesday, and uh, I've enjoyed doing that with you and continuing in that. But I'm going to start a new study of prayer this coming Wednesday night. So if you hadn't been tuning in or you might just be interested in the topic, uh, we're going to look at some different angles and aspects of prayer and what it is and what it does. And I would invite you to join us live on Wednesday nights if you'd like to interact with me as we go. You can find us both on Facebook and on YouTube. If you don't have time to do it on Wednesday nights, you can always still tune in and find those and watch those later in the week. That's this coming Wednesday night. Now, uh, in a couple of weeks, I also wanted to mention another study that we're going to get going. Um, Next week is our Giving Sunday. We have a special guest speaker, Freddie Anderson, who's going to be in town. Looking forward to having him. But following that study, we're going to be looking at five questions to help us get our lives into focus. Sorting out our priorities, sorting out the things we really want to give our time and our energies to, I think it's a good season in life to be asking some of these questions. So looking forward to doing that study with you. What I decided to do for today, since I've kind of got one week in between what I was doing and a couple of weeks before I start what I'll do next, I wanted to spend some time with you this morning dwelling on one of my very favorite psalms. Psalm 139 uh, is a robust passage of scripture that speaks to so much of life, and uh, I wanted to just kind of take a casual walk with you today through this text 
and reflect on what it means for us. The psalmist begins and says in verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You know, people talk about once you have a child, there are certain things you see differently. There's a lot of things that I don't see differently, but one thing I have begun to see differently since I've had a child is that I think it's really easy to underestimate just how well your parents know you. Have you had that realization before? I can remember being a five or six-year-old, being highly concerned with my parents respecting my modesty when I'm changing clothes and all this kind of stuff, and I'm thinking I'm sneaking stuff by them, and I'm realizing now it's just a matter of whether they're too tired to deal with me or not. You know, you're not that smart. You're all the stealth of a dump truck, right? But you know your children because you study everything about them, and long before they have an active memory of anything you're doing, you're watching everything, the way they develop, what they react to, what they think about, how they talk about it, what words they say, and how they say those words, wouldn't you say it's also easy for us to underestimate just how present God is in our lives? Because he's often unseen to our eyes, we might just forget how present he is, how interested he is, just like a parent. One of my my favorite stories is in 2 Kings chapter 6, What's happened in this passage is that the king of Syria has it in for Elisha the prophet. It's like they get into the war room and they make all their plans of how they're going to attack Israel, and no matter what they do, Israel is always prepared for them, always foils their plans, and he says, what in the world is happening? How do they keep figuring this out? Do we have some kind of a mole or something who's who's reporting our plans? And they said, well, the issue is there's a prophet in Israel, and Elisha knows everything you're doing in secret, and he's declaring it because God is giving it to him. So this Syrian king takes all his army, and they surround the town where Elisha is living. Elisha has a boy who kind of works as his servant, and he gets up in the morning, and you know they've snuck in during the night, and he looks all around, and everywhere he can see, they're surrounded with soldiers, all coming to get one guy an army to fight one man, not a chance in the world as he sees it, that they're going to get out of this situation. He says what any of us would, with with great panic, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And Elisha calmly responds, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the servant looked, and all the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. I'll tell you something fun to do. Just get on Google Images and search for all the ways that artists have tried to represent what that must have looked like. All the images are inspiring, and yet somehow they all fail to capture the full magnitude, I'm sure, of what that visual must have been like, that you could look all around you in any direction, and the enemy's there, but our allies so vastly outweigh, outnumber the enemy and what the enemy would try to do to us. 
If only we had any idea just how much God is helping us in ways we don't even see. God is near to us. God is interested in us. He cares about us. And because God is so near, we've got to work at becoming more aware of the presence of God. The issue is not that God hasn't been around and we need to invite him to be around. The issue is that God has always been around, but we don't always pause and remember just how available God is to us. Something I've found over the years is that sometimes you can read a book by someone in a field completely unrelated to your own, but if you find someone who does something with real excellence, you might could still learn a thing or two from them about what excellence looks like in any field. So a few weeks ago, we were going around the used bookstore, and I spotted a book with this bright red, beautiful cover called The Five Rings, and I picked it up. I ended up buying it, but it's, a, it's by a Japanese swordsman from the 1500s named Miyamoto Musashi. It's the first book on sword fighting I've ever read, but he was considered this master swordsman. And a whole lot of the book had to do with like cutting and stabbing, which isn't that useful to me. But he made some other points that were, were really profound. Something he said that I think is useful to us in reflecting on the presence of God and awareness of God. He said, you know, a lot of people as they prepare for battle, which we are in battle even if our sword is only the sword of the Spirit. He said a lot of people as they prepare for battle, you've kind of got your casual stance for when you're just being an everyday person, and then you have, you know, whatever a sword fighting stance looks like, you've got, a, you've got a stance you get into when you're ready for battle. And he said the key to really becoming a master of what you're trying to do is that you try to make your battle stance be the only stance you ever have. He said, no matter where I go, I'm already standing ready for why I'm here. And even if someone tried to ambush me, I'm already in position aware of that possibility, ready for that possibility. I think there's some good application from that as we reflect on what it means to be aware of the presence of God. Not that I'm tense or stressed out, but that I'm calmed by the fact that I know he's here and I walk into every situation already remembering first and foremost that I am a child of God, that I'm a Christian, and that I bring that with me into every place. How is it that we're starting this week? We've come together with our fellow Christians, whether you're here with us in person or some of you joining us online, but you paused at the beginning of your week because we understand that putting God first, remembering God's availability to us, is so important that we don't want to begin a week without reminding ourselves of that. I want to encourage you to take that with you also into Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, that even as you begin your day, the thing you want to do is to start with that stance, the posture of prayer, openness to God, and remembering that even before I walk into this day, God has already laid out good things that I could do if I were paying attention, if I were ready for them. I wonder if something like that might be what Paul meant when he told us to pray without ceasing. Not just that you have a never-ending internal monologue or conversation with God, but that you're just constantly thinking about, aware of his presence and what it is he might be trying to do through you in any and every circumstance. Because God knows us so well, because he's so present in our lives, we want to keep a stance of awareness. The psalmist continues, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. How do you run away from someone who's omnipresent? How do you flee from someone who's already at every destination before you could arrive there? Is that not a total exercise in futility? Where could you run that God won't already be there? And I love in this passage where he reminds us that, you know, even daytime and nighttime are just our imaginary constructs. We experience them, but to God, there is no difference. He's still present. He's still witnessing all that happens. The poet Emily Dickinson, uh, most of her poetry wasn't published until after she had passed away. She was a very reclusive person. One of her poems that I've been sitting with for several years drawing loosely from the story of Jason and the Argonauts and their, their you know, mission to find the Golden Fleece. It's a story about a guy who's lost a kingdom and is trying to get his kingdom back. And what she says in this small poem, because she's provided no commentary, no one really knows exactly what it means, and yet it does feel like a very significant little collection of words. She says, finding is the first act, the second Loss. Third, expedition for the golden fleece. Fourth, no discovery. Fifth, no crew. Finally, no golden fleece. Jason, sham too. Everyone's got their own interpretation of what she could mean by that. But when I read that, where it sends my mind is thinking about the way it is so futile for us to try and put anything else in our lives in place of God. And people waste so much time and energy trying to find some way to reclaim their own little kingdom, that maybe I can put my life together in such a way that it's like I found the golden fleece and I have the secret to happiness and God doesn't have to be part of any of this. And so often it kind of moves in this same progression where I say, here's the thing that I need instead of God with enough possessions, enough success, enough people who like me. I get this thing and so finding is the first act and I say, you know, I've got it. But the second is loss. This thing I was starting to depend on begins to disappoint me. And before long, I'm beginning to realize that everything I've been trying to build my life on, apart from God and his availability, ends up just being a big sham. It wasn't there at all. It doesn't sustain me at all. I thought it was the secret to happiness, but now I've lost that sense. And once again, I'm back on the same quest I started on. But God is the thing who is there at the end of the road when everything else has disappointed. He's still waiting on us. Lately, there's been this meme that's getting posted around a lot, and I'll confess to you, I hope, it's not, I hope it's not overly disrespectful. I find it both humorous and offensive. Have y'all seen this one? People have it as a bumper sticker. It's this image of Jesus who's saying, I saw that. So again, on the one hand, I get the humor. I get the reference to the ever-present nature of God, but wouldn't you say... The way you feel about God observing everything about your life, 
The way you feel about that has much more to do with how you've been living than anything God is trying to do. I don't like that this represents Jesus as if he's just some person waiting for you to mess up so he can catch you in it. I don't think that's why Jesus watches us or cares about us. But if you've been living a life in active rebellion, trying to declare your own little independence and your own little kingdom in your life that you rule over, it is a threatening thing to say, ugh, but how do I deal with the fact that God still gets the final word on my life? It could be a frustrating thing if you resist it. But to those of us trying to do the right thing, if you're trying to follow your conscience, even when you face defeat and setbacks, it's actually a comforting thought for God to say, I saw it. It may not have happened the way you wanted it to, but I see what you were trying to do. I saw that too. It all depends on how you've been living based on how you would react to this. So how do we respond to this? I think the quick and easy response would be to say, well, because God is watching everything, I better be extra careful. But I would say as Christians, we can do even better than that. The right response to this realization about God's present watchful eye is that we ought to love as boldly as we can. We know the kinds of things God would have us do. We should absolutely give ourselves over to those things not just because God is watching to give us some sort of a grade, but because God is watching so he can help us in accomplishing his will. When it comes to showing love and kindness and compassion, even if sometimes I fumble over my own clumsiness, if I'm trying to move the right direction, I take great comfort in knowing that God sees my heart and my intentions. And so often God will help us, maybe even in ways that we hadn't noticed. The fundamental question for us, if you're trying to be an ethical person as a Christian, there's really only one question you have to ask yourself, which is, in this situation where I now find myself, what would love require me to do? Jesus says at the core of all the law, it's loving God and loving your neighbor. So the right move is always going to be whatever move looks the most like showing love and kindness and compassion and mercy. What would love require me to do next. And whatever that is, I want to do that boldly, openly, unashamed because God is watching and God has not abandoned me. God is with me. God will help me. The psalmist continues from here. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, They would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake. I am still with you. Despite all the things that we know by modern science and modern imaging and all the things we can do medically, isn't it true that there's still something beautiful and mysterious about the creation of a soul, the creation of a human being, knowing that from the moment that life is sparked together, there's something that God has as plans for us, as a purpose for us, that even as I'm being woven together within my mother, that God is overseeing the process, giving potential, giving possibilities. 
We've got to remind ourselves that as we look at every human being around us, even the most ruthless scoundrel you've ever met, that person too was created in the image of God. There is intrinsic value in every person. And we don't need to invite people to become Christians so that they'll start having value or significance. What we're really trying to do is to wake people up into that value and significance that's already there. It's already theirs. They're already precious to God and welcomed by God and invited by God before they were even born. We need to wake people up, remind people that this is true. And because this is true for each of us, the next thing we ought to do is to embrace God's purpose for each of us. That I would look at my life and say, is there some way that God especially wants me to be doing what God has enabled me to do? Something I've kind of concluded over the years that if you're struggling to figure out exactly how God could use you best, your frustrations are actually a pretty good window into what that might be. What I mean by that is like sometimes you might just look around and say, here's this thing that obviously needs something done about it, and why is no one else doing it? The solution to this is so obvious. Why is no one else getting it? It might just be that God has put you here at this time in this place because you can see what the rest of us don't see. And your vision and your abilities put you in a unique place to make a difference. And the thing that frustrates you might just be key to how God wants to use you next. Another way that that sometimes works out is that maybe you think of yourself as a multi-talented person, and yet it seems that people are always coming to you for a specific type of help or advice. It's sometimes easy to say, why does everyone always ask me about such and such or to, or to help with such and such? And it might be that even though you've got, you're a 10-talent person and there's nine other options on the table, this one thing might be how you're most needed at this time and at this place. And rather than be frustrated for only having one area of focus, use it as an opportunity where God is using you uniquely and you're making a difference. Sometimes it is through what is frustrating us that we find a window into our usefulness. It's okay to specialize in life. It's okay to build on your strengths. It's important to embrace God's purpose for you. And so we get to this last section of the psalm, and it takes a weird twist. And in fact, if you were going to make a precious moments version of this psalm, you'd probably leave this section out, okay? It says... If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I got something to ponder for you. How old do you think David was when he wrote that down? I don't know, but that sounds to me a lot more like something I would have said as a younger person than something I would say at this point in my life. It's weird for me to think about having a, a prayer of mine, you know, memorialized and passed down to generations where I'm saying, oh God, don't I hate those people and you know how much I hate them. It's easy to get really passionate in life. I think sometimes maybe one of the ways we get unbalanced 
is by perhaps being so passionate about this thing we want to be right or handled rightly or we get our cause that we're just an advocate for that maybe sometimes we go overboard. I'm just kind of looking at David saying, eh, that feels to me a little excessive. This is Mark's reading of what David had to say. But it's also the case that we can swing the other direction, isn't it, where there are some things in life that I shouldn't be sitting back on and I shouldn't be so silent about and I shouldn't be so noncommittal about when, in fact, I need to be a good deal more passionate than I am. So perhaps it's possible for us to be too zealous, which might be the case here. We can also be way too laid back. But in either of those scenarios, I think verses 23 and 24 are so key to this text, and it's so important that they are there at the end. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the goal, isn't it? I'm trying to walk the way that is everlasting, that doesn't just lead to a dead end. And knowing I might be too passionate or too laid back, I want for God to help remove those ways in me that might not be what God envisions for my life. You know, when God appeared to Solomon, Solomon was just becoming king, and God appeared to Solomon in this dream, this vision, and he told Solomon, you can ask for anything you want and it will be yours. What Solomon asked for could be translated several different ways, but he said something like, Lord, I would like to have a listening heart. Could also be said a discerning heart or a pliable heart. But the basic request is, God, give me a heart that's wise but is also open so that you can continue to make me wiser. And that is the right response, I think, to these thoughts David is wrestling with. God, this is where I am, but if there's a better way, help me to find that everlasting way. God, help me to keep a pliable and open heart. Reflecting together on Psalm 139, I love that last line about the way everlasting. That is the road that we're all trying to walk on. So I would simply remind each of us to, to reflect on these things. Because God is present... I stand in awareness. Because God's help is everywhere, I love boldly. Because God created me, I embrace God's purpose for me. And because I still have room to grow, I keep a listening heart for whatever God would show me next. Maybe this morning there is something that's been weighing on your heart that we could pray with you and for you about. Uh, maybe there's some special need you'd like to just share with one of the elders uh, gathered around the room. You're welcome to come forward, talk to us at the front. If you've never become a Christian, perhaps, you'd like to learn more about what it means to be a Christian or, or to be a member of our church here. Or you've just got some other thing you need to inform us about. We've got a link you can use on your phone. It's printed in the bulletin. We're happy to hear from you, whatever your needs are. But if there is some way this morning that you recognize in your life, you could take a few more steps in that way everlasting, and we could help you with that. We would invite you to come forward as together we stand and sing.